What's going on, everybody? Welcome to our fifth episode of the Gridiron Giants edition. I'm your host, Anthony Payroll, joined, of course, by my co-host, Anthony Novello. And Novello, it was a tough one, man, this past week. I mean, you'd like to always go into these games always optimistic, of course, hoping that your team can execute certain things and pull off an upset when you're playing a top team in the National Football League. But this past week, I mean... The first 15 minutes were good, and then after that, it was it, it got ugly real quick, and it, it, it's a little demoralizing on on, on Sunday at one o'clock. You know what I mean to, to have to watch it, but it's part of the game, right? It's just one of those seasons. It seems like at least has unfolded in front of us, but you know what? We'll get into it, and uh, we'll uh, offer a little, a little bit more insight. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what gave me hope, honestly, was the fact that we played them so well the year prior, but. Yeah, just like you said, first 15 minutes, we played well, and then after that, it was all downhill. You know what? I kind of knew it was going to be a uh, a tough game straight on from the first play, and we'll, I know we'll get into the details of it, but uh, let's get into it. Yeah, I, I mean, you mentioned the first play. You're 100% right. It <laughs> was absolutely disgusting. I mean, both tackles get absolutely beat like Toasted. it was like, – totally, it was – you. You just should have saw the signs, right? I, I guess not. Uh, I think Soldier even went out after that play. He got like a little nicked up on that. He then, I think he ended up coming back later in the game, but Pert ended up finishing that drive. A couple plays later, Kadarius Tony, who just had his third reception oh. of the game of the drive already, um, leaves the game with an ankle injury. It kind of in a lot of pain. Doesn't look like he'll be back this week. So I mean, for a team that is already depleted all over the offensive side of the ball to lose the one guy that was really giving you a lot of hope and really giving you some energy and continuing to make plays and stuff like that. It, it was a bummer to not see him out there. Yeah, you know, let's start on that first play. Leonard Floyd literally just goes right around. I believe it was Nate Soldier. Sacks Daniel Jones, gets a fumble. The Giants end up recovering it, but, like, still just, just knowing that Leonard Floyd on the very first play just sets the tone and, like, lets the Giants know, like, what's up. This Rams defensive line is – is legit. This pass rush is legit. But yeah, it was unfortunate to see Kadarius Tony go down. He had three receptions, 36 yards on literally the first drive. And I think two of those targets were both on third down, which was awesome. He was able to kind of convert for us, help our offense move down the field. But then I, I really hope he's going to be all right. I know that ankle's really bugging him. That play where he actually got hurt, it was a little like, it almost looked like he was fine until he got tackled out of bounds. And you know, I I hope to see him playing this week, and I know we'll get into the injuries later. But yeah, like you have right in the notes, doomed from the beginning, right after the first drive. Can't can't say it much better. Yeah, and especially if you want to even look at the end of the drive, what a surprise, Novello. We go 14 plays down the field, and guess what? It ends oh, yeah. a field goal. It's, Grand it's, you, listen, I love you, Graham Cano, but when you walk onto the <laughs> field, sometimes I hate it, man. Like it just can't happen. We cannot continue to get into the. If the Giants want to be a good football team, they, they have to fix a bunch of things. All right? One of the things that they have to fix is they have to start scoring touchdowns in the red zone. It's un, oh, yeah. it's unbelievable. They are one of the worst teams in the NFL at, at red zone execution uh, in terms of scoring touchdowns and stuff like that. But on the defensive side of the ball in the first quarter, it, it all looked pretty good, honestly. Leonard Williams, two back-to-back drives, had two huge sacks. Uh, where it kind of knocks them out of field goal range for a guy that we called for last week to kind of have to step up and have a big game. I thought Leonard Williams played real well in this game, especially when the game was relevant and stuff like that. So I'll I'll give it to him for uh, Mm kind of, you know what I mean, stepping up when the Giants needed someone to step up. I don't necessarily the team didn't, but like the result kind of overshadows how well I thought Leonard Williams played this past week. 
Yeah, I mean, both those sacks came up in pretty big moments in the first quarter. Kind of like it honestly set the tone for the Giants' defense. But you know, we all we all know how the game ended up turning out. But like right there, we're like, like as a fan, you're watching, and you're like, okay, like we do have a shot. We have a shot at stopping this offense. We could get off the field on third down. We could force them out of field goal range with these big sacks. Leonard Williams, awesome job on those two sacks. I know there, it was a little bit long. It was about like four or five seconds in the pocket for both of them. But still, I was he was able to get back there forced two sacks and uh get, i think they took them out of field goal range both times honestly on both those sacks but yeah mentioning that uh red zone offense by the way i got it right here nfl team red zone scoring percentages the new york giants pale let's get a guess let's hear it what do you think rank the rank i'll i'll tell you we're dead last that's that's our ranking <laughs> but what do you and think our, the percentages our touchdown scoring percentage in the red zone is maybe yeah. 30 32 percent we are 41 percent Okay. In 2021. That's absurd. Yeah. Absurd. That that is ridiculous when you really, I know everybody really hasn't been healthy, but when you have weapons like Kenny Galladay, when you have Saquon Barkley, you have Evan Ingram, who I know I'm talking like Evan Ingram, like he's an asset at this point, but Evan Ingram is just something different that you can have in the red zone. You have a mobile quarterback too, so that adds to the QB run game. It boggles my mind. Uh, yeah, one thing positive. one thing I do want to mention is we we did bring in Kyle Rudolph, right? And Kyle Rudolph was known for his red zone touchdown ability with the Vikings. I'm pretty sure I'm not sure which year it was, but I'm almost positive that every single one of his touchdowns one season were came in the red zone. And like surprised me. Like we brought him in just for that reason. I know he scored that two point conversion at the end of the game, but like let's just get these guys involved. Like these guys were brought in to help us out in certain areas like Kyle Rudolph specifically in the red zone. And we're still sitting at 41% touchdown rating for the red zone, which we're dead last in, by the way. But yeah, let's, uh, let's keep going here. Yeah. So obviously that's something that they have to work on. That's something that desperately needs to get fixed. I don't know if Jason Garrett's even like man to fix it because it just seems like it's such a recurring problem really last year. And then even more, it's been uh, exemplified this year and stuff like that. But after kind of Leonard Williams gets two big sacks, I know the Rams even faked the punt that the Giants got bailed out with. Uh, yep. It ended up coming back for a penalty. I can't exactly. I think it was, I can't exactly think what the Rams got. I believe from. it was a legal formation. That that's what I was leaning towards. For some reason, like, I can't I can't picture, but it definitely had to be because it was like a pre-snap penalty or mm-hmm. whatever on the offense. So yeah, uh, they got lucky honestly on the Giants. Kind of a mental error there. Uh, they go for it on the next drive. They don't get it. That kind of a bad spot if you want to say. And then that kind of brings you brings us into the second quarter, which was one of the worst quarters of football that I think I've ever watched on terms of the Giants. Uh, the Giants Absolutely. give up 28 points in this quarter. Daniel Jones turns the ball over. Uh, I mean, again, you, you're depleted on the offensive side of the ball, right? Uh, and it was just so obvious that Daniel Jones was just left out to die. So I'm not going to completely throw him under the bus for turning the ball over and stuff like that. But at the same time, got to protect the football. However, you could just make it so much easier if you actually for Jones by maybe moving him out of the pocket and stuff, not leaving him in there for like a sitting duck and just having guys like Aaron Donald tee off on him. So I don't really think they helped him offensively. And I think, on, like I said, he, he was left out to die this weekend, in, in, especially like in the second quarter. Yeah, you know, we we know Jason Garrett as his conservative, do my thing and my thing only type of offensive scheme. And like. I think that because of Daniel Jones' concussion from the week prior, I think that Jason Garrett forced himself to be even more conservative than he already is. 
And you know what? It it forced some pressure on Daniel Jones to make some throws that he wasn't comfortable with. Clearly, like he went 29 for 51. That is that's not Daniel Jones so far this season. I should say that. But yeah, that's not Daniel Jones. Three interceptions, which I'm pretty sure most two of them to Taylor Rapp. Taylor mm-hmm. Rapp, you know, whatever. But two of them, then Taylor Rapp. Three picks total, like I believe two of them came within the second quarter. Yeah, three total turnovers in the second quarter. Oh, so I, I, I throw I throw the I throw the defense completely under the bus, right? For giving up twenty eight points, but I mean but, your off, the offense just didn't do anything. I mean you can't keep, continue to keep giving the ball back to them. And it wasn't even like these were early in drives. I mean we, we it was like three play like third down he's fumbling on then early in the drive he's throwing mm-hmm. an interception. I think they had like one first down in that whole second quarter. So you could sit here and say, yeah, the defense has to step up. But I mean, the defense was really on the field all second quarter. So it's kind of like a point to give and take. Yeah, continue. And like that to, you know, make it worse. But every time the defense got on the field, they were within like the 30 yard line within the red zone. Mm -hmm. Like as a defense, like that's a tough spot to be in. And Daniel Jones just kept putting them in that position. That's ultimately what led to the 28 points. It was just the field position that the, the offense left the defense with. Yeah, for sure. One thing that I'll kind of leave off with the defense, and then we'll get more into Jones specifically. Of course, it wouldn't be a Giants game if they didn't allow touchdown with two minutes left in the halftime. In the halftime. Yep. So put put add that to the, to the list. That's number six on the year in six games. So, of course, we got to keep our 100% efficiency rating. But um, on that specific play, get, uh Durrell Henderson is in man is uh, matched up one on one with Tay Crowder in man coverage on the outside. Listen, I like Tay Crowder, man. I love Tay. I, you know, I love Tay Crowder. I'll even give you as a football player. You know, I mean, seventh round pick, mm-hmm. literally the last pick of the draft a couple of years ago, and he's giving the Giants some good run at middle linebacker. There's no doubt about it. Tay Crowder cannot play man coverage on Durrell Henderson. No. Just can't do it. Can't really play man coverage on a lot of people. Good Tay Crowder, not his game. All right, so don't set him up to fail like that. That's inexcusable to have him in that situation. I know sometimes linebackers have to go play man. I get it. But, like, the Giants already don't have a great, like, great personnel in certain areas. You know what I mean? So then you have to modify your game plan. You know what I mean? You can't just, like, your excuse can't be, oh, well, I want to run this, but we don't have the personnel to do it. No, you have to adjust to what you have and put these guys in positions where they can succeed. Guess where Tate Crowder is not in a position to succeed? When he's five yards away from the sideline trying to guard Darrell Henderson. Yep. It's not it. So that's something that I hope Patrick Graham can – because last year he was so good with that, putting putting more of our guys in positions to succeed and stuff like that. But even with mm-hmm. like Jabril Peppers this year, it seems like he's been in a lot of situations where – it's a lot of man coverage and Jabro Peppers, great football player too. Not a, not a really, a, not a man coverage guy. I right? hope probably, he, I mean, he wouldn't admit it because uh, he's a competitor, but Jabro Peppers, not, not, a, not great in that area. So that's something that I hope um, Patty Graham can fix. But the second half, the defense, you know what I mean? I won't even like, the game was glorified over, you know what I mean? McVay was just trying to run the clock all. So I, I won't, uh, Say anything about that. Xavier McKinney, two interceptions. Uh, I'll give you that. I'll tip my cap. He did drop another one, though, earlier in the game. But it, it, that also blows my mind, too, how we can drop so many interceptions on the defensive side of the ball. It's like if we want to really kind of get in games, we got to make plays, and we're literally letting them slip right through our hands. But McKinney, two picks. I'll still give you credit for that because, you, you know what I mean, take, take some talent, take some uh, what you would call it. But we, we, need, we need that third one. Yeah, talking about the take-rider thing really quick, like, 
Patrick Graham did put him in that position, and it's a little bit different. Like, I believe when I was watching the game that they did not motion that running back out to the number one spot. Mm-hmm. And that, like, says something about, I guess, what Patrick Graham thinks about Tate Crowder because that was clearly, like, a man coverage type defense where Tate Crowder specifically had their running back, and he lined up out there. It's not like he motioned out there and then, oh, he had to go cover him out there. Like, no, it was Tate Crowder was – that play was designed for Tate Crowder to go cover the running back wherever he went. And he went uh, to the number one spot, ran that streak, beat him, scored a touchdown. And then to talk about Jabril Peppers really fast, too. I, for some reason, I just seem to remember about Cooper Cup just being covered by Jabril Peppers one-on-one. And I believe it was like three corner routes that I just they just keep coming up in my head when, I'm, when we're talking about Jabril Peppers. Three corner routes, all for like about 20 yards each. Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup is one of the best receivers in the league. To have him man-to-man with Jabril Peppers, who, again, just like you said, competitor, great dude, great player, like he's just not the man coverage guy, and you can't be covering one of the best receivers in the league in Cooper Cup. But like, just to to put those guys in that position, you're right. I hope Patty Graham can can figure it out, just like you said. And, um, yeah, that's, that's all I got to say about that. Just put your guys in the right positions, especially when – we have a defense that is already struggling. Put guys in better positions to make plays and do what they do best. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. And yeah, Cooper Cup definitely gave us fits all day. Not surprised, of course. Obviously, Cup is playing like the best receiver in football right now. I think he went nine for thirty, nine for one thirty, and two touchdowns. Which it seems like almost like yeah. you expect something like that from Cooper Cup every game, which is what's happened really when Matthew Stafford's taken over there. So good for the Rams in that sense. But I guess we'll get more into Daniel Jones and stuff like that. I mentioned he turned the ball over three times in that second quarter. He also threw another interception later in this game. Uh, two of them were tough throws for sure to Taylor Rapp. He definitely gets lurked um, um, mm-hmm. on two of them for sure. I know the um, – I think it was the last one he threw was like up the left sideline. It was like a hook, uh, like a yeah, comeback it was just a hook too. And Taylor Rapp was just underneath it. Yeah, he did. He did a little earlier too, throwing across the middle. He just never saw Rapp underneath it as well. Listen, like I said, Jones. You could say in a sense that maybe the Rams exposed Jones for the true quarterback who he is. If you want to spin that narrative off on if Jones isn't your franchise quarterback. We've we've kind of tried to say this for a while. I don't think Daniel Jones is that quarterback who will completely put the team on his back and will be like, I will will us to victory. I don't care who's around me. I will roll out of the pocket. I will make plays on myself. He's not. He's more of a quarterback that will play within the system when you got the pieces around him. You know what I mean? He's a good distributor of the football there. He can make his own plays with his legs a little bit, but he's not going to be somebody that can like completely elevated offense just all by himself and stuff like that. So this past week, I mean, at one point in this game, you had Daniel Jones, Sterling Shepard, Will Hernandez, and I, I mean, it sucks to even count like Nate Soldier, right? Those four guys, those were your only four week one starters on the field, which is crazy, even on the offensive line. Andrew Thomas going down in this game was one of the worst things that could have happened. Um, Matt Pert and Nate Soldier at tackle looked horrendous. Pert, I, I was kind of nervous all year that the reason why they weren't playing Pert over Soldier was because Pert wasn't ready. And I think, like, I thought that was just saying something that they keep shouting Soldier out. I think it was pretty obvious after that first drive when Pert, like, they took Soldier out, they put Pert in, and I was like, oh, all right, maybe Pert's gonna give us a little something. Mm-mm. Not all, all nope. day. He just looked, he just looked too overmatched and stuff like that. So. Something definitely has to fix. I won't completely throw this game, like I said, on Daniel Jones because I think it would be unfair to just point out all those things when 
we can't like, I feel like we know like Daniel Jones and stuff like that. So you you knew he wasn't like gonna be able to really succeed with some of these guys that he didn't have. Yeah, no doubt. Obviously football the most like team game that there is in all sports. So it's gonna take all eleven guys on every side of the ball, on every special teams unit to win a football game. And when you look at Daniel Jones' performance, it's kind of like, you're right, it is kind of just a reflection of everything that happens to this team. Like, it's just all the injuries that happen, not enough weapons that we have because everybody's hurt. Our offensive line is banged up all over the place. He was sacked four times. Like, that is, that's a high number for, for a quarterback just to get sacked in one game. And I know Leonard Floyd, Aaron Donald, one of the sacks, they just had like five defensive linemen on top of Daniel Jones. And it sucked to see that because you know that like he is a good quarterback. He does get the job done. You're right. He is kind of like that, the efficient offensive guy. He's not going to go crazy. He's not going to make some crazy Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson type things happen. But he's going to be efficient with the football and try to do what's most efficient for the offense. And, yeah, you're right. Like just just seeing the way that this game panned out and like, with all the injuries that happens, I know we're going to get into the injuries probably shortly, probably next, actually. And I just hope that we can get some of these guys back for the next week. Yeah, me too, because 16 pressures they allowed against the Rams. I mean, you had a lot of different pieces on the offensive line. Now, Wes Martin was somebody that we mentioned, them bringing him off the practice card. He's playing a bit of left guard. And, again, he's not really giving you anything there, too. So the the injuries just continue to pile up. And, like I said, you, you mentioned we'll get into it. I think one of the biggest injuries that has happened now so far will be Andrew Thomas going on IR. We'll miss three games, maybe even more. It just seemed like when Daniel Jones started to get right, one of the main reasons why was because Andrew Thomas was finally coming into his own at left tackle for a Giants team that has not gotten the left tackle position right really since, I mean, Will Beattie. Was yeah. like the last thing in like 2011, 2012. I mean, since then, it's been a revolving door. Obviously, they tried to fix it with Flowers in 2015. That was a mess. Then they bring in Not Soldier. Right. That was, of course, a mess. And Thomas had a rough start a little bit last year. People were like a little pissed off at Gettleman. But honestly, down the stretch last year, he came into his own. And this year, he was having a real good start to the season. Really, our building block, you could say, for sure on our offensive line. It still is. But I definitely think some of... Daniel Jones' struggles this week were because Andrew Thomas was not in that game. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, Andrew Thomas is – he is protecting Daniel Jones's, you know, blindside. And as a quarterback, if you're not confident in the fact that your left tackle can take care of your blindside and protect, you know, your back to where you're not looking, like, it's going to be a tough game for you. You're going to be running around. I actually saw him – I saw Daniel Jones stand in the pocket and look around him multiple times before, like while trying to read the receivers downfield. I've, I've seen him do that before, especially this game. But yeah, also another thing that's kind of like, as a result of Andrew Thomas going down and a bunch of offensive line injuries, the rushing for our offense is just struggling. 18 attempts for 60 yards and a touchdown. That's averaging, what, almost three yards a carry? That is mm-hmm. disappointing, man. And to see like Daniel Jones struggle so much and it just... Like, the rushing attack needs to be there to help Daniel Jones do his thing, this passing game. And we just didn't have that. The injuries are killing us on the offensive line, and we need to we need to get get through it somehow. Yeah, I don't – you can't expect for this many injuries. I, I won't completely – I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, well, Dave Gettleman should have constructed the roster better. But the one thing I will say is that when you're – if your offensive line is a top 
five offensive line in the league, right? Then your backups are also still probably pretty good. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? They're, they're they're refined and they get a lot of they get some work in practice. Those guys have some chance to develop with them. Like the Cleveland Browns, like last night, are missing their. Uh, Conklin, their right tackle. Last week, they're missing Wills, their left tackle. You know what I mean? But they're the best offensive line in football. So their backups are probably capable plug-in starters. But guess what? When when the Giants have one of the worst offensive lines in football, you're like you're already starting quote unquote backups in a sense, right? So then even so now your real backups are glorified. I don't want to say practice squad players because some of these guys don't deserve that, but you know what I mean? They're they're, they're backups for a reason. I just want to say, you know what I mean? There's just certain deficiencies in the game, whether they're have maybe not a great pass blocker, not a great run blocker, stuff like that, maybe a little too slow, not agile enough, whatever the reason may be. So when you put these guys in the game against guys like Aaron Donald, they're just going to get exposed and you're going to leave out. You're not going to be able to run the ball and you're going to leave your quarterback out to dry. So uh, you can say in a sense that it's been so obvious that we have to fix the offensive line and it's almost just they're trying to like super glue it together instead of like completely overhaul and restructuring it. That's something that I would hope I mean, I don't think it's going to be Dave Gettleman this offseason, but whoever the GM is of the New York Giants really just goes like piece by piece to our offensive line this year and completely revamps it. No matter who's under center, no matter who's in the backfield, it's just a more and more trend that like the offensive line is the, one of the most important. It, it helps your offense go. It really does. In every, I mean, look at the Cleveland Browns last night. Again, Dearness Johnson running for 150 yards like with no problem. Mm-hmm because of what the offensive line can do. Case Keenum, I'm not going to say he played great last night for the Browns, but again, he's serviceable because he's held upright in the pocket. So the Giants definitely need to, that, that'll, of course, like we said, that'll be the big, like, what if, um, if Dave Gettleman's there, but whoever it is has to fix this offensive line. But I mean, it just right now with all these guys injured, it's going to be an uphill battle. You block six all week this week. I mean, what do you want me to say? Yeah, it's like, like, throughout that entire little spiel that you just had, like the the injuries just keep piling up, and like one name just keeps coming to mind because this was really like a huge piece of our, our offensive line, and it's just Nick Gates. Like the loss of Nick Gates was way bigger of an impact than anybody really expected. He is he not only was he captain, of course, but like he was the attitude and like everything you want for an offensive line, and he kind of set the tone like. I just think back to last year when we did play the Rams. He has Aaron Donald like by the face mask, and as him and him as they're both going at it, like that just sets the tone. Like everybody's like, who is this Nick Gates guy? And like, what is he doing with the best defensive player in football? Well, you know what? He's he's blocking he's blocking his tail off against Aaron Donald. Like he's getting the job done. Like, and it just sucks to see that guy down. And oh, God, that's that's all I was thinking about that entire time when you were talking. Yeah, I mean, because Nick Gates, I mean, he's an undrafted kid, and he plays with a chip on his shoulder, and it's so obvious, like you said, he brings the attitude to this offensive line. He's a smash-mouth old-school guy who just wants to really push defenders and pancake and put them into the dirt and stuff like that. So, yeah, we're definitely missing up there. I really hope he gets healthy and we can have him back come 2022, because if you have him back, then it makes it a lot easier to build three offensive line spots, whereas if you're not, then question question at center then and the other four spots aside from Andrew Thomas, because Will Hernandez, well, honestly, maybe he's, play, he's playing a little bit better this year than last mm-hmm. year, which is not saying much, because last year Will Hernandez got benched for Shane Lemieux, who's a fifth-round rookie, but yeah, Hernandez is playing a little bit better, but it really doesn't do anything because his contracts do up next year. At, at the end of this year, I'm not sure if they're going to even uh, bring him back. So I don't want to say it's all for nothing, but I, I guess Will Hernandez, you know what I mean? When 
the offensive line has been so decimated. At least he's stepping up a little bit and kind of taking a step up in his game. But aside from Andrew Thomas, I guess, and all the other injuries that happen on the offensive line, uh, obviously a receiver we mentioned this coming week. It's, I mean, we're still, it looks like no Tony, no Galladay, no Saquon Barkley, which, I mean, if you want to rank them, I'd say those are your top three skill position players. Those are your three best playmakers. So Daniel Jones, again, will be having to battle, like climb an uphill battle with these guys. Yeah, like when all I can think about is the fact that like prior to this season, I was like, like our offense is looking so like like deadly. These are our weapons. Kadarius Tony looked filthy in college. Kenny Galladay is making insane catches with the Lions. Saquon's going to be back. Like I was hyping it up so much in my head. And now just to see these guys down just sucks. Um, I You have here probably out Evan Ingram, Slade, and John Ross and Shepard. I know you said a couple of them were practicing. Which ones are practicing again? So today, Shepard, Slayton, and Evan Ingram all practiced. I'd assume the most likely, if you like, I think Shepard's going to go for sure. Slayton mm-hmm. would be the question mark because he still hasn't came back yet. And um, Ingram, too. Uh, I mean, does it really matter? No, of course it does. Evan Ingram's still <laughs> a serviceable tight end. But Evan Ingram, uh, he'll, he'll probably go, too. They said he, it was like just like a couple, like, bruises you know what i mean it was just like wear and tear stuff it wasn't really like a big big injury so so to say yeah and like with like with these injuries like i I get like angry when people start saying things about like like fire everybody get rid of everybody the trade line the trade deadline's coming up like i saw a thing on instagram the other day where everybody was saying like the giants should have a fire sale get rid of everybody get rid of daniel jones just get draft picks for next year they're like, get rid of Saquon. I'm like, why would we do that when we haven't even seen what everybody here is capable of yet? Like when everybody plays together. I think it was last week I said, um, I said I saw some on Instagram where it was like 17 plays is the amount of times that all of our new pickups mm-hmm. and offensive weapons were all in the field together. Like Daniel Jones, Sterling Shepard, Kadarius, Tony, Galladay, and Saquon. 17 plays out of the year. Like that is unbelievable. I, I just want to see this offense get to work together. I want to see them all on the field together, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, I think fire sale is definitely too extreme as well because, again, injuries are going to happen. You really can't prevent injuries, and especially, like, just the amount of injuries. Like, it's not just, like, Kenny Galladay's been out for the Giants, you know what I mean? And you could be like, oh, well, the Giants brought in their number one receiver, and now this all, like, you know what I mean? Like, Dave Gettleman, honestly, he brought in two, he, he brought in three receivers. He brought in also yeah. John Ross. He brought in Kadarius Tony. Those guys are also now banged up a little bit. Darius Slayton, who was your receiver last year, banged up Shepard, missed a couple of games. It's literally almost everybody who's unfortunately fallen victim to the injury bug on the offensive side of the ball. So I don't want to completely, like, yeah, in a sense, like you could be like something has to switch, which I agree. But at the same time, I don't think I don't think it's fair to say let's have a fire sale because, yeah. like, unfortunately, we just couldn't stay healthy on the offensive side of the ball. But Novello, the trade deadline is coming up. I'm sure if you ask me, I think the Giants should definitely be active at the trade deadline, though, selling off some expiring pieces. It pains me to say it. I think one guy that the Giants should move on from at the trade deadline. He's one of my guys too, especially I'm like a Michigan football fan too, so. Jabril Peppers, you know what I mean? I loved him. I was happy when the Giants got him back in the Odell Beckham Jr. trade. But it looks like maybe his days might be numbered in New York. I know okay. he was like his press conference the other day. He was just saying that he just wants to win to like a lot of questions and stuff like that. So with uh, the way Logan Ryan's contract is structured, I think he has like two more years left here. Xavier McKinney as well. I just think 
I mean, we got, I love actually might be a free, he probably has another year left love here, but it just looks like he's a kind of on the outside looking in. Like I said, he struggled a little bit this year. Patrick Graham hasn't been able to like, he, he was great last year for us to build peppers this year. Definitely hasn't really gotten comfortable, I guess, in what Graham's trying to do now. So I think with even, um, they got the third round pick Aaron Robinson will become, he was just activated this week off the pup list. So he'll be coming back soon. I don't know if he's playing for sure this week, but again, that's just another defensive back with that. We used good draft capital on. So I, I, if you ask me, I think getting something for Jabril Peppers, who's a free agent at the end of the year makes a lot of sense because I just realistically don't think the giants can pay him with the way uh, their roster structured and with who they have to go uh, spend money for this off season. Yeah, you know what? I actually think that's that's a pretty interesting point. I never thought about that. I did see on that same trade deadline post that the Giants should get rid of Jabril Peppers, and honestly, it didn't cross my mind. But you are right. When we have Xavier McKinney, and I believe it was a couple episodes ago that I brought up the fact that they were, like, rotating, like, so often that they were both playing 50% of defensive snaps. And, like, it was kind of interesting to see one of them one week played, like, 70%, and then the next week he played that guy played 30% and they were kind of like switching on and off of that. So I think that's interesting because we could really just bring in Xavier McKinney and just have him do all a hundred percent of those snaps at safety. And like, honestly, with Jabril Peppers, who is a good safety in the NFL, there's no question about that. I think you're right. I think we could get something pretty valuable for him and like try to better some other weak spots on this team. And yeah, I actually totally agree with you. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, let him go to a team, too, that's going to have a chance to win down the stretch. I think that's only right for him, too, because I'd say his Giants, I mean, his Giants tenure has been filled with tons of losing. So at least let yeah. Jabril Peppers win. If we can't win something this year, at least let my guy Jabril Peppers win something this year. But you're right. I mean, this past week, Xavier McKinney, too, played every single snap. Uh, Jabril Peppers still did play 80 percent of snaps in his return from injury. But I, I, again, I just think that this team, like, especially defensively, I think in the secondary I think there's just a lot of pieces there that Jabril Peppers he's not extra because of how good of a player he is that would be like mm-hmm. disrespect to, to say that to his talent but we have a surplus there and you know what I mean and to build a roster you know what I mean sometimes you, you gotta balance it more out and I think Jabril Peppers is now I don't think they're gonna get a crazy pick for Jabril Peppers because he's on an expiring contract but yeah. if you can get him if you can get a mid-round pick if you ask me I would I would I'd really think about it I know you can argue that maybe uh, if you let him walk in the offseason, then you get another compensatory pick for like the next year. So it'd be like 2023's draft. But I mean, just take your pick for 2022. This is a team that is kind of approaching its playoff window from a sense with all its contracts. Like, you know what I mean? Like Bart Saquon is going to be going on his fifth year option. Who knows with Jones? I'm probably they're not going to extend him, I don't think, before next year. Obviously, Williams, you have getting a lot of money. Galladay, Adoy Jackson. So the clock is kind of ticking in a sense, the way the Giants mm-hmm. are built, that they need to step into this playoff window. So this, like so far this season, they've taken a complete step back from that. So somehow we need to take a couple moves to step back into that. I think Evan Ingram moving on from him as well. He's a pending free agent this offseason. I don't really think that they bring Evan Ingram back. Um, the only way I could see them bringing them back is if whoever they bring in, is that, bring in as an offensive coordinator, if they do move on from Jason Garrett, uh, w- would really – want to like see Evan Ingram as the special talent, which he is, and would be able to utilize him to the best of his ability. But the way it stands right now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be mad too if they moved Ingram on for a mid, for a mid round pick. And it would just be a shame again, because you draft ever since you drafted Odell in 2014, you've got uh, flowers now in 15. 
Apple in 2016 and um, in 2017, Evan Ingram, who you would all not even see a second contract with the Giants. So it would be uh, pretty disappointing. Yeah, no doubt. Honestly, I, I believe on that Instagram, that same post, I saw that Jabril Peppers was going to be traded for a potential sixth round pick, which would be a little disappointing. But I know how like trading with all these veterans go. I, I know how that stuff goes. So, I mean, whatever we could get out of Jabril Peppers, again, like you said, a mid round pick would be awesome. But um, yeah, like sixth round pick. Listen, whatever's going to help the team the best and, and help us get into the playoffs soon enough and yeah Evan Ingram honestly I would not be heartbroken if we got rid of Evan Ingram I I can't say I'd be happy because that'd be a little a little rude because I know he's he's done some good stuff for us but at the same time like it could be time to move on for him and I I think he could do better on a better on a better team that's more pass oriented stuff like that but again like you said like I seeing those two guys go wouldn't be the end of the world for me because I know we would do hopefully good things with what we get out of those two but yeah like you said but I know you want to get into this game preview talking about the Panthers so let's get into it yeah for sure I think um uh, like you said with, uh, right before that with Evan Ingram uh kind of uh I think I think a lot of places that he would go he'd be he'd be a real good football player like I said so it would be a shame in a sense that you kind of have to let him walk in something before he really reaches pr- true potential. But I don't think that's something that we can sit around here and wait for. Uh, really, the only other expiring deal I want to just mention real quick would be Will yeah. Hernandez potentially moving on from, which I don't think they'll honestly trade him. I think they'll just ride him out and maybe bring him back in the offseason if the price presents himself. I don't think so as well. I think Will Hernandez, they move on, especially if it's not Dave Gettleman because Dave Gettleman drafted him. So he may be more attached to him. But yeah, no other pieces. I mean, Lorenzo Carter is a free agent at the end of the year. So is Austin Johnson. But I don't think, I mean, I like Austin Johnson. He's played some pretty good football this year. But I don't think he's, people are running to come get Austin Johnson from us. But you're right. I definitely want to get into this game preview this week. Week seven versus the Carolina Panthers. Uh, I guess one of the bigger storylines this week, Sam Darnold returns to MetLife for the first time this season, really for the first time since he was traded from the Jets. The Panthers, they got off to a good start this year at 3-0. They've lost their last three games this past week. They lost to Minnesota in overtime. So I think this is a pretty good matchup for the Giants. I think these these teams are both evenly matched. The one thing that I don't completely love about this matchup is that Carolina's defense can really get after it, especially get after the quarterback. You know, Brian Burns on the edge and a guy who the Giants have nightmares about, Hassan Reddick, that is also was signed this year to a one-year deal on Carolina and he used to play for Arizona and last year against the Giants when he was on Arizona I believe he went for five sacks I want to say and that gave maybe five and a half uh, yeah. unbelievable performance by him in MetLife so yeah the Giants are gonna have to hope to block him with Matt Pert and Nate Soldier like I said I think we're gonna have to really block an extra guy a lot this week so um my that those are kind of like my initial thoughts of like that that it, that worry me about this. I think the like the Panthers from a talent level aren't this like are definitely a complete, a complete step down from the Rams, but how they're built defensively could definitely give us some problems. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we seem to struggle against super good, quick, fast edge rushers such as Leonard Floyd, such as Hassan Reddick, such as uh, Marcus Golden, even. And like. I, I just hope that we can be able to block those guys, even with our injured O-line. We don't know what's going to happen up there. But one thing, another thing that we definitely got to do, and I know we said this last week about Cooper Cup, but we definitely have to take DJ Moore out of the game. And honestly, in my opinion, I think DJ Moore versus James Bradbury is a pretty good matchup. 
I don't want to say it's, you know, Odell versus Josh Norman, but, you know, that's kind of like the way it's looking out to be. Two of the two of the best guys in the league. I hope that James Bradbury could really pick it up this game. I think if he can he, if he can lock down DJ Moore like the way that we know he can after seeing him play last year, hopefully he could pick it up, start playing like that again. I hope we can see that uh see DJ Moore just kind of get locked out of the game, almost have just a couple catches for almost no yards. That would be awesome. That'd be huge for this uh, for this Giants defense heading into this week. Yeah, with no Christian McCaffrey for Carolina, DJ Moore is by far their most uh, explosive playmaker at the wide receiver position specifically. Um, but yeah, I mean, James Bradbury has a lot of familiarity with DJ Moore. I mean, they were both teammates for two years in Carolina. So this is kind of the Bradbury revenge game in a sense. I mean, a lot of actually uh, ties to this game. I mean, so yeah, let a guy like Robbie Anderson, who's also returning to MetLife for the first time this week uh, since he was uh, signed with the Panthers. You know I mean? Let, let Robbie Anderson beat us this week, please. I mean, Robbie Anderson had a case of their drops last week too. So that'd be mm-hmm. great. I know Terrace Marshall is another receiver that they have there. Their tight end's a little weak because they gave up Dan Arnold earlier in the year, but uh, like Tommy Tremble, a rookie from Notre Dame, let those guys beat you. Do not let DJ Moore this week beat you. Sam Darnold has struggled a lot this past these past couple weeks with uh, protecting the football. So I think this is a big week for the Giants defense to finally force some turnovers. And I think Adoree Jackson's another guy that really come to play this week. You mentioned Bradbury. I think it's in the secondary's hands. I think the secondary could really turn uh, this game for us. I think we need to force two turnovers at least on uh, Sam Darnold because he's capable. He's shown especially really throughout his career, how inconsistent he could be with his highs and ups. Right now, he's just in one of those skids where he's turning the ball over at a pretty high rate. So we need this football this week, and we need something to help spark our offense that's probably going to be a little depleted. Yeah, two two things that I well, – actually, three things that we need to see this game is I want to see the defense get turnovers the same way that the Rams' defense was getting turnovers against us. I want to see us our defense give our offense really good field position to get in there and score. I want to see Jason Garrett try to get Daniel Jones out of the pocket. I know he's coming off that concussion. I know he's trying to be conservative and protect him. But right here in the notes, you literally have nothing to lose. And you're right. You know what? You have nothing to lose. Let's go out there and let's just do – let Daniel Jones be Daniel Jones. Let him get out of the pocket. Let him make some some tough throws. Let him do his thing. And then another thing that I want to see that I feel like is pretty, like, low-key when you think about the Giants, honestly, is, like, when you look at John Ross, he has – couple of good plays throughout the year but I just want to I want to start seeing one deep shot a game with John Ross just to see what happens I don't I don't I don't see that panning out too bad for us I think worst case scenario we get a pick and you know what whatever at that point throw it up to John Ross see if he could just outrun that Panther secondary and just like I, that's what I want to start seeing I want to see John Ross kind of get a deep ball a game I think that would be super beneficial for our fans to take that shot bet on the fact that John Ross can just outrun somebody and uh, hopefully Daniel Jones doesn't overthrow him like the last time he did when he was thrown to him. But um, yeah, those are three things that I definitely want to see this week for the first Panthers. Yeah. For, uh, you mentioned, I, I like that a lot. I think from the offensive side of the ball, we got to definitely be able to make something happen. I think that's a way if Ross is able to give it a go this week um, to get him involved for sure down the field. But uh, Stephon Gilmore for the Pan actually my plays this week for the Panthers. I think that'd be interesting mm-hmm. what Matt Rule could uh, what he ends up doing with them. I mean Matt Rule too is going to be on the sideline for the Panthers and the Giants were all in. It seemed like on the Matt Rule sweepstakes. I know I was a big fan. He was probably my like the guy I wanted the most there. I thought uh, his time in Baylor and even his time as te- in, at Temple before that uh, 
was filled with tons of success. You know what I mean? He seemed like a guy who was able to build the program there. He seems like he's building something pretty good in Carolina. They kind of, uh, Kind of though uh, at a roadblock in a sense, you know. What I mean, losing three straight games, but it'll definitely be an interesting game. I know the Giants will definitely want to have this one to not to avoid to falling to one and six. Uh, I think it's a winnable game, and like you said, I mentioned, get bold. You know what I mean? Let's start at, at this point in the season. I don't like I don't, the season's not lost in a sense. You know what I mean? There's still a lot that you could earn from the season. There's still a lot that you can gain in terms of like knowledge about your players and stuff like that. Uh, I would love the Giants to maybe go for it on a, a, a fourth and three that they normally wouldn't go for it on. I'd love mm-hmm. the Giants to take a couple shots here. I'd love the Giants to really like risk something on defense. You know what I mean? Send an extra guy here or there. Make make a gamble on something because at this point, you know, what I mean? we they need plays to win themselves. Like they will not. The Giants will not win this game if they just try to slow the clock up try to run the ball here or there, try to do a short pass, and then on defense, try to sit back in the zone. They just won't They just won't win the game. You know what I mean? They have to go yeah. They have to go out and actually take this game. They have to go make a play on defense and turn, force a turnover. Hopefully they can do that. I think they definitely have the ability to do that this week, though. Yeah, no doubt. And I think with that, like, the defense just has to get going. Like you said, make it – you know what? I, I wouldn't mind seeing a corner blitz once in a while, a little Logan Ryan sack or something like that. Get crazy on the defensive side of the ball. Try to make some plays happen. But, um, yeah, I know. Let's get into these predictions here, Peo. What are you thinking? After last week and the fact that I won against the Giants, I will not be giving you any more scores this week I don't know, for the rest of the thing. That being said, I will be taking I – th- I do believe the Giants will win this game. I think this is such a doable game for them to win, especially with the Panthers on the skid. Just have to take the ball away, uh, and we have a chance to really win this game. But I, I'm sure you'll give you'll you'll give a little better prediction. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the uh, the Giants winning. Um, just so everybody knows, I'm always gonna be picking that the Giants will win. I'm gonna say that the Giants are gonna win 33 to 29. And I, you know, I always loved my my crazy defensive uh, predictions. So I'm gonna go with an Xavier McKinney pick six. That's my crazy defensive prediction for the week. And, uh, you know, <laughs> let that hit, please. That would be awesome if I could hit. Xavier McKinney, I know he's got a couple of interceptions on the year. I believe he's got three now on the year. Uh, yeah, I think he died. I can't, I can't think of when he got the earlier interception, but I'm almost positive he has one. I think maybe yeah, the, maybe I the uh, two last game Falcons. Then I know he's, I, I'm pretty sure he's got one more. But, yeah, that's my, predict, that's my defensive prediction for the week. Xavier McKinney, pick six. Let's see if it can happen. Well, I mean, I'll stay on the same wavelength on you on the defensive side of the ball. I think somebody has a fumble six. I just don't know exactly who it's going to be. I know Ojalari missed the practice. I would go him. But I don't think it's going to be him. I think it's going to be more of the, uh, like, le- like an underheralded guy. Maybe like a, um, maybe like uh, Lorenzo Carter. I don't know. But on the offensive side of the ball, I guess I'll, gi- I'll give you something. I think Kyle Rudolph catches a touchdown this week. So that's what I'll leave oh, it with that. Novella, anything, anything else you kind of want to leave off with? Uh, all hell in New York Giants. Always, I love it, man. Always a nice little refresher at the end of this. But uh, that's gonna do it for today's episode. Be sure to check us out on the Instagram at the Deep Ball underscore. Take care, everybody. Have a good one.